DW Africa Link Hello and welcome to Africa Link this Tuesday the 23rd of January I'm Isaac Mugadi and I'm Josie Mahachi welcome to those of you following us on our Facebook page DW Africa we also appreciate everyone who's tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent you can also follow us on Spotify and coming up US Secretary of State Antony Blinken has pledged 45 million dollars in additional financing to help fight conflict and bring stability to coastal West Africa we're here for a very simple reason, uh, because America and Africa's futures, their peoples, their prosperity are linked. Also on the program, a year later, Cameroonian journalists pay tribute to their colleague Martinez Zogo, kidnapped and found dead five days after his disappearance. I continue to believe that there is justice in this country, that with all the people who mobilised after the death of Mr Zogo, that justice will be done. The details of this story is coming shortly after the World News in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. 24 Israeli soldiers have been killed in Gaza, the highest one-day Israeli death toll since the war against Hamas began. Most of the soldiers were killed in an explosion in central Gaza. According to Israeli military officials, two buildings they had mined for demolition collapsed after Hamas militants fired at a nearby tank. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called it one of the most difficult days for his country, and he added that Israel will not stop fighting until absolute victory. DW correspondent Tania Kramer in Jerusalem with more. It has been described here in the Israeli media as the deadliest day for the Israeli troops uh, fighting in this war uh, in uh, Gaza. So there are talks here about a devastating scene there that a search and rescue uh, there's on the way. So 21 soldiers are confirmed uh, killed in this incident, bringing the overall death toll of troops in Gaza to 219. And of course, we are seeing all kind of also reactions here from the political level uh, pouring in, uh, saying, that you know this incident uh, should be taken that the war uh, on Gaza needs to continue. DW's correspondent Tanya Kramer in Jerusalem. U.S. and British forces have carried out a new round of strikes against Houthi militants based in Yemen. Washington says the strikes come in response to repeated Houthi attacks on ships in the Red Sea. The militants say the attacks support Hamas, which is considered a terrorist organization by the U.S., Germany and other states. The U.K. discussed or UK Parliament discussed the attacks and DW's Brigade Mass in London explains more about the attacks. When it comes to the justification for these strikes, UK Foreign Secretary David Cameron, he further fleshed out in a statement that he does not believe the Houthi narrative, that this is all in retaliation to the war in Gaza, and he bemoans that Houthis um, have indiscriminately targeted shipping. So the narrative overall from the US and the UK and the general coalition that are um, behind these strikes is this is to protect international shipping, to protect um, the Red Sea that's so vital for global trade. 
A Kenyan court has uh, this Tuesday again charged a cult leader and dozens of suspected accomplices with manslaughter over the death of more than 200 people. Self-proclaimed uh, pastor Paul Mackenzie and 94 other suspects, including his wife, pleaded not guilty to 238 counts of manslaughter. Mackenzie, who was also charged with terrorism last week, is alleged to have incited his followers to starve to death in order to meet Jesus in a case that provoked horror across the world. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has pledged 45 million U.S. dollars in new funding for security in West Africa after a meeting with Ivorian President Alassane Ouattara. Blinken's visit to Ivory Coast is seen as reflecting U.S. interests in the country's stability and its preparations for the 2025 presidential election. From Ivory Coast, Blinken heads to Nigeria. And NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has signed a 1.1 billion euro contract for artillery shells. Western allies have struggled to keep Ukraine supplied with ammunition. The European Union has promised to deliver 1 million shells by March, but lawmakers say only 300,000 thousand have arrived so far. For more news and information, head on to our website dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jane Nyingi. And you're listening to DW's African program with the latest news from Africa and the rest of the world. Once again, I'm Isaac Mugabe. And I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. Thank you so much for joining us on our Facebook page, DW Africa, where I see some of you have already tuned in. Remember to share the live stream with your friends and families. We also appreciate everyone who's tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent. And as usual, we have a dose for you on the ongoing Afcon Day Mathematics Everything. We shall talk about it, Josie, a little later on the show. Absolutely. Now, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has been meeting with the presidents of Nigeria and Ivory Coast in a bid to forge a united front with key African democracies as crisis engulfs the world. In Abidjan, Blinken met with Ivorian President Alassane Ouattara, a veteran leader who has won U.S. praise for consolidating democracy before heading to Abuja to see Nigerian President Bola Tinubu, elected last year, on a platform of economic reforms. More on the story, here's Boba Jalo. Throughout the trip, Blinken will highlight how the United States has accelerated the U.S.-Africa partnership since the U.S.-Africa Leaders' Summit, including in areas such as climate, food and health security. He will also emphasize a future-focused economic partnership and how the United States is investing in infrastructure in Africa to boost two-way trade, create jobs at home and on the continent, and help Africa compete in the global marketplace. We're here for a very simple reason, uh, because America and Africa's futures, their peoples, their prosperity, are linked, uh, linked and joined as never before. We appreciate uh, particularly the leadership shown by Cote d'Ivoire in countering extremism uh, and violence. We're announcing $45 billion in new funding uh, through the U.S. strategy to prevent conflict and promote stability for coastal West African states with this new investment. Shortly after meeting Ivorian President Alhassan Ouattara, Blinken headed to Nigeria, Africa's most populous country, to hold talks with Nigerian President Bola Tinubu. 
Nigeria is West Africa's regional heavyweight and plays a major role in security issues, especially those involving Islamic extremist violence in the Sahel, the vast arid expanse south of the Sahara Desert. The United States will invest in nearly $300 million just over the past two years in stability-focused assistance in coastal West Africa. Um, and we're also working to bolster uh, Cote d'Ivoire's security capacity. There's been a uh, increase in training uh, multiplied 15 times, uh, training equipment for the military just over the, uh, the last year. We're expanding civilian forces uh, uh, investment as well. Blinken's Africa trip comes as the United States is increasingly nervous about its relationship on the continent, particularly after coups last year in Niger and Gabon and escalating unrest in Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Buba Jalo with that report. Well, just, you know what, shortly mm. after his arrival at the stadium yesterday, I'm talking about Anthony Blinken. Equatorial Guinea produced the biggest upset in Afghan <laughs> with the, <laughs> with the 4 nil thumping of Ivory Coast that put the small country, that is Equatorial Guinea, into the last 16 as Group A winners and left the hosts facing potential elimination. They, they are now looking for a place as the best losers. I wonder what Blinken had to say after that match. Well, he said, mm. I want to quote him rightly, he <laughs> said uh, he praised Ivory Coast, first of all, for mm. organizing what he called a successful tournament. I think, by all means, contrary to what our correspondent always tells us, his diplomatic language. That's how diplomats speak. Mm. So he praised them for a well-organized you know, tournament. He heaped praise <laughs> on some of the, of the players, saying, really, they fought it out. Well, and wish them well. But yeah, before we go to Afcon a little later, let's read some of the comments that we've been sending in on this particular story. Dianga says, the scramble for Africa, history repeating itself. And Saeed Dumani says, very good, Mr. Blinken. Keep up with the good work. May Allah continue to bless you. And uh, Mule K says, uh, he or the Americans should focus on Israel and Gaza war and... I mean, they need them more than Africa. He goes on to say, anyway, let's mm. leave it there and head to the next story, Josie. Yes, that takes us to Cameroon, where the inquest into the murder of Cameroonian journalist Martinez Zogo is told one year after his body was found. For many, there are mounting questions in a case that implicates the country's most powerful individuals. Well, it's a very disturbing story, Joseph said the least. His lifeless body was discovered a year ago, like you just mentioned, on the outskirts of Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé. The exact date of the discovery of his body was January 22nd. Uh, and more to this report is occurring with Yenatho. You might find some bits of this report disturbing. <laughs> Moments of grief as colleagues marked a year since the discovery of the mutilated body of Martina Sogo. The co-workers created a shrine with candles and flowers for the journalist who dared to speak out against corruption and cronyism before his abduction and brutal murder last January. His remains are yet to be returned a whole year later. The fate of his body, much like the case itself, is still in limbo as authorities have decided to keep it in a morgue in the event of a new autopsy needing to be ordered. Diane Zogo, the wife of the slain journalist, explains. I'm in no hurry to proceed with the funeral, because we still have people in custody being questioned. The investigation is ongoing. 
we're still at the investigation stage. As long as the investigation is pending in court, we can't talk about a funeral. The culprits will have to be found. Let the alleged culprits be punished and let justice be done for Martinez. With so many aspects of the case still in need of clarification and further investigation, Zogo's family has yet to begin to find a semblance of closure, as Diane Zogo further explains. I continue to believe that there is justice in this country, that with all the people who mobilized after the death of Mr. Zogo, that justice will be done. So I trust that the government, the military tribunal, will find my husband's killers. Sogo had carved out a reputation as the presenter of the popular daily program, which exposed alleged embezzlement in the government and didn't shy away from naming some top officials. His former colleagues like Charlie Chumu, an editor at Amplitude FM, explained why justice for Sogo is needed. As we've been calling for justice to be done since the beginning, since the macabre discovery of Martinez Zogo's body, we can see that justice is doing its job and that justice is being done. Because when we learned of the first arrests, we jumped for joy. We understood that we must have faith in the justice of our country. Meanwhile, the Cameroonian public continues to follow the case like a political whodunit mired in rumours and scandal. One particular claim that appears to have grabbed the public's attention more recently, according to RSF, is the idea that a second team took over after the first commander unit had finished torturing Zogo and that it was this team that killed the journalists. Arnold Frogo, head of the investigation desk at Reporters Without Borders, explains the enormous work that has been done to bring the culprits to book. 31 people have been arrested and a great deal of evidence has been gathered, including material evidence, telephone records and numerous eyewitness accounts. I think there is also the surprise effect of people who probably weren't expecting to be arrested and who were. Some of them, according to our information, spoke and gave information. The laptops recovered have also provided information. In December, Cameroon appointed a new investigating judge to head the military court overseeing the case, the third of such appointment in 10 months since Sogo's killing. Thanks, Okerin Gujinado, for that report. In case you want to read more about that particular story, head on to our website, dw.com forward slash Africa, and you can read more. Yes, yes. Mm. And, of course, you can tell us the state of uh, media rights in your country. As usual, our Facebook page, DW Africa, is your platform. Feel free to drop your comment there. It's a quarter past the hour in case you're just joining us. This is DW's Africa Link program and we are coming to you live from our Bond studios here in Germany. I'm your host, Josie Mahachi. And, and I'm Isaac Mugabe. Remember that you can be part of this show by commenting on the stories that you're covering on our Facebook page, DW Africa. And to you, the AFCON fans, <laughs> I'm always happy to read out your comments. Let me start with this one. Elvis Tanyi, you say... No, Solomon, Solomon Kumbatia saying Senegal is ahead 
performed by Madeline Ghana, players performed abysmally. He's responding to a teaser that our SR person, social media person, put out there because of the mathematics involved in Cameroon, whether it will uh, mm. qualify. David Nchamba, as usual, we appreciate you and many more others that are commenting. Josie. Coming up, jubilation in Nigeria is caught, nullifies broadcasting codes, empowering National Broadcasting Commission to fine media houses. The Nigerian Broadcasting Commission has indeed been overbearing in the way it slams media houses with fines as a result of so-called breach of the broadcasting code. Mm, that's a positive development for media fraternity in Nigeria. That story is coming up soon, but for now we go back to check on what is happening. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, weeks after President Felix Sekedi was inaugurated for yet another term in office. Yes, Isaac. However, the, after the publication of the provisional results published by the Electoral Commission for the National Legislative Elections, an analysis has revealed a glaring imbalance in women's representation in the country. Now, for more on this story, here's our correspondent, Zanem Neti Zaidi. Chantal Faida was not elected in her constituency in the city of Goma, despite her wish to save the people. She claims to be one of the victims of the stereotype faced by Congolese women. According to her, Congolese have not yet understood that women have an important role to play in politics. We are sad not to have been declared the winner, but I congratulate those who were elected for the city of Goma. Several factors explain the failure of several candidates, like myself. The first factor is cultural. From a cultural point of view, most Congolese voters have not yet understood that women have the same capacity as men to lead, to be elected. Isabelle Pendeza, president of the Collective des Associations Féminines de Développement, a women's organization, expresses her disappointment at the low turnout of women in the legislative elections. She points to the lack of financial support for women candidates. We are disappointed by the low number of women elected. In the province of North Kivu, only three women were elected. It is true that a lot of women fought. A lot of women got involved and ran their campaigns properly. This failure can be explained by the fact that women did not receive sufficient support. Many political parties did not support women financially in their election campaigns. Elected candidate Eric Bonapua acknowledges the underrepresentation of women and condemns the situation. He calls for equality and promises legislative action to remedy the situation once he is in parliament. We noticed that the population didn't trust the candidates and that even women didn't elect women like themselves. I condemn this situation. I would like women to know that they too are equal to men. If I have to propose a law for equality between men and women, I will do that. The December 20th elections in Congo revealed persistent challenges for women's participation in politics. Cultural barriers and lack of support are some of the obstacles to overcome in order to achieve equitable representation. In the last legislature, only 66 of the 500 seats 
in the National Assembly were held by women. For the new legislature, 64 women have been provisionally declared elected out of the 500 seats in the National Assembly. Zanem Zaid in Goma. Um, Jazzy, it's a pity. It's mm. a pity that women were not voted in the recent elections in the DRC. I've been following politics in that region for the last 20 years. And when you look at the manifesto of the presidential candidates, I said it here on this edition here on Africa Link, they had the better manifestos. There's a candidate who said her first her first thing she will do if elected is to carry out a census of the general population, which will help her plan. Yeah. Because you can't plan, let's say, for your family without knowing the number of people in your house. But um, unf- Yeah, but unfortunately, like you heard the other speaker, they're saying that there's still that stigma that women cannot, you just tick maybe in the other room, the kitchen, not become politicians, which is a pity. Yes. Because like you're saying, if the manifesto was powerful, it's something that DRC would, would want also in parliament, right? But when you look at the DRC, mm. like I told you, I mean, the women are the leaders of the households. They're the heads of the households, wherever you go, especially in Eastern, Eastern Congo. Okay. I mean, they're the ones who go to the market to get, you know, the food, the money with which families buy food with. Most of the men and the young men are on battlefronts because the DRC has more than 100 groups of Marodi militias fighting. So basically in Congo, you're more likely to meet women and young girls than men. Okay. Anyway, you can also tell us how it is in your countries, how many women or percentage of women are representing, are being represented, rather are representing in parliament. We move forward to Nigeria, where there is celebration after a federal high court declared is now and void the provisions in a broadcasting code that empowers the National Broadcasting Commission to impose fines on broadcasting houses in Nigeria. Well, before that, the commission imposed fines on many organizations. To many Nigerians, especially professional bodies, the judgment is the best news or gift for their 2024 to the media in Nigeria. Didems Ben Shemang has more. Apart from seizing broadcasting licenses, some programs are always yanked off air by the NBC, disturbed by the incessant train. A civil society-based organization known as Media Rights Agenda approached the court to seek for a stop on this onslaught against the Nigerian media industry. Justice Rita Ofeli Ajomogobia passed the judgment that the NBC, as an administrative and regulatory body, cannot exercise judicial powers. The Deputy President of the Nigerian Guild of Editors, Madam Husena Banshika, has described the judgment as the best New Year gift for the Nigerian media industry. The ruling is a courageous one. It is bold. I think the woman has done the right thing. I think this is one of the refreshing news to come out of the courts of recent as far as the broadcast industry is concerned. It's a good one and uh, we will not forget this in a hurry. In fact, uh, it's excellent. The president of the Nigerian Institute of Public Relations, Mr. Ike Neliaku, says if the NBC does not feel satisfied with the judgment, it can go on appeal. I believe in the rule of law, so I expect that the NBC, if they don't agree with the judgment, would have to appeal the judgment. A Nigerian lawyer, Frank Tietje, seals it all. As he says, the NBC acted beyond its powers. The Nigerian Broadcasting Commission has indeed been overbearing in the way it slams media houses with fines as a result of so-called breach 
of the Broadcasting Code. It is against the principles of natural justice and indeed fair hearing for any agency of government to serve as both the accuser and the judge to now also impose fines when on its own it imposes and accuses uh, media houses of breaching broadcasting codes. Last year, the NBC accused some media houses of reports that compromised national security when they broadcast programs on terrorism and some political programs the regulatory body failed were detrimental to some individuals and the country. Thanks, Ben Shiman, for that report. Africa Link. Sport. Indeed, it's time for sports and Isaac. Again, mm. a lot is happening with AFCON. I saw a lot of tears last night. Mm. It was super packed with a lot of action and a lot of surprises, a lot of expectations. What's happening? Well, like you rightly mentioned, a lot is happening in Abidjan. The hosts, I think for the first time, the hosts have been kicked out at group stage. Mm. Uh, the match, the unexpected game yesterday was between, of course, the, the game... Ghana superstars played. I mean, they had to win this game. But what happened was a draw. Hold it there. We're talking about Ghana. (laughs) Oh, where do I even start? I mean, I really poured out my heart. I I was prepared to go all the way. Even though I, I saw it. They were not convincing the way they played. I mean, look at all our games. The first game, losing against Cape Verde. You know, lack of concentration, uh, dying minutes of the game, we just lose focus. Uh, then the second game against Egypt. It was it was a home run. It was supposed to, uh, to be 2-0, and that's it. Silly mistakes at the back, uh, loss of concentration, unprofessionalism led us to draw 2-2 against Egypt. And then there's Mozambique. We all feel, oh, this is going to be... Uh, the real deal. And yeah, it was going pretty okay for us. 2-0. Until extra time. What? They equalized in 2-3 minutes. You know what? I am done. It's 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 been a, a heartbreak for me. Let me go and nest my heartbreak. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> now that is our colleague, Eddie Micah Jr. He comes from Ghana. As you might be aware, our team is a very diverse team. I mean, from almost all the countries in Africa. And he, I, I had to just ask him to give us what he thought about the Black Stars performance yesterday. Isaac. Well, well, I can feel Eddie's pain and uh, he says he's done. And even Ghana is also done. So let's wait. <laughs> Two years time, Eddie come back reloaded. Well, I told you, Josie, mm-hmm. before that game, even Mozambique is not a walkover. I think there's I think this... people really you t- took like they thought that it's just one of those small teams where Mozambique really performed we very have, well. We have an unfortunate situation going on where people underestimate teams. Mm-hmm. Remember Mozambique versus Egypt. It had beaten Egypt until the last minute when the referee awarded Egypt with a penalty. Mm-hmm, people mm-hmm, are forgetting mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And then Egypt went away with a draw against Mozambique. They're not walkovers these teams anymore. We don't have the underdogs. And by the way, they do their homework very well. Do you know the team that beat Ivory Coast yesterday? Four goals to need. The player who scored two goals plays in a third division team. Uh-huh. 
These you see, so, so, so sometimes I think I, I, I really don't know what is happening with these African teams. Is it just about national duty? They go there to say we're just going for national duty or it's something they're passionate about doing? Because to be honest with you, I was pretty surprised yesterday. This is already in the, uh, in the public domain, your question. It's outright people saying they're not patriotic. I remember in 2000, I was cover- reporting for uh, my the national radio mm. in Rwanda. That is 24 years ago. Ivory Coast was kicked out of the group stage. And the then president, General Robert Gay, took them to a boot camp, military camp. He said, <laughs> all of you, next time when you were playing, know that the country comes first. I didn't see any patriotism, so you're going to boot camp. He took them to boot camp, military drills, mm. and then... He released them. They ran to the airport okay. <laughs> to go back to I said their quickly team. before we go, because time is running out, we need the maths. You're the mathematician on the show yes. today. What's going to happen? About which team now? I, I don't know. People are asking about Cameroon. Can uh, you explain what happens to Cameroon? Well, Cameroon has one point. So whether they win or they lose, they're out. No, no, they're oh, not. They stand a chance okay. if they can win the last game against Senegal, which is a mammoth, an appeal task. And Gambia? Gambia, whether it wins or loses, it goes home because it has zero points. Equatorial Guinea? Equatorial Guinea has already qualified. I mean, they, they, I can say they, they, they have six points. Mm-hmm. Actually, seven points, not six. They have seven points. Mm-hmm. And so is Nigeria. For them, they have booked their place already. And maybe Ivory Coast still stands a chance in what we call best losers. I mean, if many teams have lost and the points are really down, mm-hmm. you can take those who are, who are close to qualifying. Okay. So this is where Ivory Coast stands at the moment. Basically, it's just the heel of the feet that is closing to the next stage, but not really. But as for Ghana, those who think that can be considered as the best loser, they can forget, relax, take a, take a chill pill. And like wait. Eddie said. Yes, they should take a chill <laughs> pill and wait for the next AFCON. That is in two years' time. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, but of course, as, usual, as uh, usual, this whole week until AFCON, until Feb, we shall be treating you to latest of AFCON. We have absolutely. our reporter there in Abidjan. Thank you so much for joining us and Fortunately, this is all what we had time for today. We have to love and leave you, but not forever. Until tomorrow, my name is Josie Mahachi. And I'm Isaac Mugabe. Catch you later tomorrow, same time, same place. Bye for now. DW. Made for Minds.